Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. What up, Anchor? How we doing, guys? All right. Well done. I mean, you're so excitable. Clearly, you've had all the coffee you need. We have more available in the lobby. Uh, Hey, my name's Brian. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. And welcome to the first Sunday of Advent here at Anchor. As you've already heard, an Advent is a time of preparation of our hearts as we look towards Christmas. In fact, the word itself means to approach or to draw near. And so in one sense, in Advent, we're approaching the Christ child, just like the Magi or the three wise men approached Jesus step by step um, in their journey. We're journeying towards the manger. But we're also, the other side, you could say, of Advent is that God approaches us in the form of the Christ child, in the form of Jesus. And so there's this beautiful mutual approaching, us journeying towards him and him journeying towards us. But Advent is also a time of setting our hearts on the anticipation that he will come again, not as a child, but as a returning powerful king to heal, restore, and vanquish all evil. That's what Advent is. So I would just encourage you in this season, in this community, to lean into Advent as a way of preparing your hearts for Christmas. Uh, Christmas without Advent is often something that we kind of just will let the consumptive nature of this country and of our hearts, you know, uh, kind of lure us towards Christmas. Rather than Advent, it actually causes us to value the significance and the meaning of Christmas. Lean in in this moment. Join the virtual Advent groups. There's information there in the lobby of ways you can lean in and take part in all the things that are a part of Advent here at Anchor. Well, throughout our teachings over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at prophetic passages in Isaiah. Isaiah uh, is an Old Testament uh, prophet, and he is his book, his, his uh, writings, it's like the second longest in all the Bible. He had a lot to say. God shared a lot with him. And what we'll be looking at is glimpses of Jesus through his uh, vision that God gave him, which is kind of cool. Okay, think about this. Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was born, but God gave Isaiah insight into what Jesus would look like and what Jesus would do so that even today we can look at some of these prophetic passages that Isaiah wrote as God gave him the ability to see and understand that look towards Jesus. And it's, it's actually an assurance for me. Because sometimes, you know, I don't know, I get turned around and confused and my faith feels stretched and strained. And oftentimes I'll look at some of these prophetic passages and kind of be encouraged that in the midst of all kind of the flips and challenges and strains and stress my faith might feel at a given moment, there is this clear evidence of God. How else would you explain clear pictures of Jesus written hundreds of years before he was ever born? I hope it's an encouragement to you. And this first passage that we're looking at today is is in Isaiah chapter 2. And um, one thing that's interesting about it is that it's more descriptive than prescriptive. To be descriptive, it means that it, it, it looks at something and describes it. 
Now, in Scripture, there are both descriptive passages and prescriptive passages. A descriptive passage would say, like we're looking at today, this is what I saw. This is what happened here. This is what's going on there. This is what's going on there. And a prescriptive passage would be, you should do this. This is how you behave. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to honor God. So a descriptive passage is kind of interesting because there aren't many do this elements to it. It's more take note of what God is like. Savor who God is. Appreciate what God is like. You could almost think about it like this for those of us maybe that are art lovers. And if you're not, I'm sorry, just go with me on this. If you go to an art museum and you take note of the beauty in that museum, what are you doing? You're just appreciating the beauty that is there. And this passage of scripture allows us, it affords us the ability to appreciate the beauty of what God looks like when he comes, when Jesus comes to make all things new. It's a looking towards heaven and what heaven will look like. And so what, what I want you to do is just to kind of whet your appetite on the quality and the character of heaven. Isaiah chapter two, verse one through five. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. He saw something. He witnessed something. God gave him the ability to see something concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. One of the first things to notice about this passage, to appreciate about this passage, to see that Isaiah gives us his vision of what he saw, and there's all these people, all peoples, coming together towards the place where God dwells, which may not be that significant for us, but for the Jews... They were in this small area of land in what we call the Middle East today. And all around them were different peoples that worshipped different gods. And they worshipped Yahweh, the God who created all and the God uh, of the Bible and other peoples worshipped other gods. And Israel oftentimes felt pretty good about themselves for knowing the right gods and passing the test on whose God is real and, and having all the right theological answers to all the theological questions. And Israel oftentimes felt pretty good about who they are to the point that they wanted to exclude others or they felt better than others because they didn't have the right answers. But in this passage, when Isaiah looks into heaven and the, the character and the quality of heaven, what Isaiah witnesses is that there's all types of people, all different ethnicities, all different languages, all different customs and values, and all manner of people there streaming towards the place where God dwells. 
It says that, um, that there's this high mountain that's exalted above all the hills. And what's meant there is that, that it's really clear who God is. Among all the rivals, among all the different ideas of who God is and what value is and what meaning is, at this point, at this point in history, it's really clear who God is. And everybody is streaming towards truth. Everyone. Every last one. In 2010, I led a mission trip to Haiti. It was right after the earthquake, if you remember that, if you were alive then. And... Um, I remember we went there, it was sh uh, shocking. The rubble was still there months after it happened. All around, people were dealing with the pain and the challenges in, of the earthquake. They were still lingering. And we were trying to help out in the limited ways that we could add an extra hand and to be available as they needed it. I remember at one point, we were dropped off um, about couple miles off the road and we were going to be visiting with some families that were really at the epicenter of this earthquake and all the time we were on this mission trip something else was happening in South Africa it was the World Cup now um, I don't know if you know this but every other country besides the United States is actually interested in soccer and they call it football I don't know if you knew that but I remember uh, walking on this dirt path far away from what I could imagine any type of electricity being available. And there's this uh, small home with about 40 Haitians there, all of them wearing Brazil soccer uniforms, sorry, football uniforms, and huddled around this small television that had somehow managed to get the right channel with the bunny ears or whatever, the antenna in the right way. And they're all watching with rapt attention these two teams and what, neither of them were Brazil and Haiti definitely wasn't in the World Cup. So it's two other teams playing in South Africa. And I just remember marveling at this. In the middle of Haiti, far off the beaten trail, there's people from all over huddled around this small TV, wearing jerseys that aren't their country, watching two teams play that aren't even the country that their jerseys represent in a place all across, like across the entire globe. And they're with rapt attention. It was amazing, like a picture of all the nations converging at this one point through the miracle of technology. Well... Again, another instructive little element for you. Um, we're in the middle of the World Cup right now. Did you know that? Um, it's going on in Qatar, and some of the pictures of it, you know, of all these flags and all these shirts that signal different countries and all these smiling faces and all these, these people cheering. It's actually kind of a beautiful sight. Like if you watch a game, we, I don't know how to watch the game because I'm not that smart with technology, but over Thanksgiving, we watched some highlights and these different, team, different teams playing, different countries. And then you, you couple that with some of the shots I've seen in the news. And it's, like almost, it's like almost like if you just look at kind of the World Cup, it almost looks like everything is right with the world. All these people coming together and the worst conflict in the world is somebody losing and getting out of the tournament, which is a significant thing, but in the grand scheme of things, not that big a deal. 
Of course, there's so much happening outside the frame. There's war and there's famine, there's poverty. But if it just looks almost like it's actually quite beautiful, just a glimpse of all humanity converging around this one thing. I think it's a shadow, maybe a vague reflection of what Isaiah saw. I mean, obviously soccer is not God, despite what somebody might think. But there's this picture of unity that Isaiah sees. There's this picture of like people coming together in a way that like stretches our imagination. Everybody says all peoples. Nobody didn't get an invitation. I remember years ago, um, uh, when I was a college pastor leading an internship, and we had six or so interns in this college ministry I led, and um, one of our interns who I had a close relationship with, um, uh, he was the type of person um, where everybody knew he was, who he was voting for. Um, I don't know if you know this type of person. Maybe you hung out with this person during Thanksgiving. Um, but he had shirts that described who he was voting for. He had bumper stickers that described who he was voting for. He had Facebook posts that described who he was voting for. And again, I, like I said, I had a close relationship with him. And, and, and uh, he also loved Jesus. And I remember in one of our intern meetings, uh, talking to him and saying, we're, we're actually looking at a passage in Revelation where it describes as the last book of the New Testament where it describes all tribes and tongues gathered around Jesus and their focus is on Jesus and they're worshiping Jesus. Everybody, like it's all tribes and tongues. And it's kind of similar to Isaiah, the passage that we just read. And I remember asking him, will it be weird for you there when you're there around the throne if you are standing next to somebody that voted differently than you and you're worshiping and they're worshiping but you have this past of thinking incredibly different thoughts about who should rule and who should be elected. And it was almost like this pin drop moment where this college student was able to reckon with what was of primary importance? I said something to the effect of, I, I guess it won't matter then. Isaiah saw this picture of everyone, every socioeconomic status, every language, every color of skin, every custom streaming together. Did you catch it? There's this kind of wordplay where it talks about they're all up coming up this mountain, but it's like they're streaming up this mountain. And Isaiah is actually getting poetic with you. He, he wants us to understand that not, not, streams don't go uphill, but this one goes uphill. Why? Because it's magnetized by the beauty of who God is and what he's offering. It's like this power where it's like even this, there's this river of people going uphill. It doesn't make sense other than this supernatural magnetism, all people together, all moving in a, the same direction, streaming, rivering uphill. And it goes on to the last part of that first section. It says, many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways 
so that we may walk in his paths. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. I love that because everyone there, I mean, you can imagine this being like this conversation that's happening along the journey of moving up this mountain towards God as Isaiah is seeing it. And none of them are saying, we're going to show how great we are to God. We're going to show how many moral merit badges we have and how much we've accomplished so that he likes us. No, instead, they're saying, we're going to finally figure out how to live our life. And, and we're recognizing we don't have all the answers. They're moving up towards God with humility rather than grandiosity. And they're sensing that coming to him is the way to learn rather than demonstrating that we all have it together so we don't need to learn. Here's the, here's the principle. We go to God so that we can learn his ways. We don't go to God to show him how good we are. Which is like, actually, if I was to be like if we can just name it, different from typically how the world works. If you admit you don't know in some of our workplaces, that might put you in a vulnerable place for that next promotion. So oftentimes we pretend we know, even though we don't know, and we shake our head and nod our head in the meetings where we don't quite know what we're talking about, or we, maybe we don't agree, but we don't want to acknowledge that we don't agree so that we can continue to go forward and not ruffle feathers. But here everybody is saying, Finally, we're going to figure out. We really don't know what, how to live. He's going to teach us. Oftentimes, not knowing is connected with shame in our world. I remember I wasn't yet a Jesus follower, but I, I got invited to a youth group when I was a junior in high school. And um, it was called The Rock because in the 90s, um, you named all of your youth groups after like second-rate clubs, you know? And uh, we went to The Rock, you know, because it kind of sounds cool. Like, where are you going? I'm going to The Rock, you know. And, All right, cool. That sounds cool. Uh, interested. You know, so I went to The Rock. And, um, and at one point, the youth pastor was like, all right, everybody get up into groups of threes and fives and pray together. Um, and um, which was, I guess, fine. Um, but I ended up sitting next to, like, the prettiest girl in the room. And so here I am. Uh, and I'm sitting next to this girl that I kind of could sense, I, you know, she's cute. I like, I don't, didn't know her, but I could imagine myself liking her. And then it got time for me to pray out loud. And, uh, and I mumbled through something. I don't know what I said. It was probably closer to praying in tongues than anything else. <laughs> and on the way home, my friend was like, dude, what happened there? I remember my face getting beat red. And I'm like, I don't know. I think sometimes maybe that's experience that we've all had. Where not knowing is connected to feeling shame. Maybe it's the class where you get called on and you don't know the answer and you have to say, I don't know. I want us to understand, I want us to see how this is flipped here in Isaiah's vision. Not knowing is actually the first step on the journey because God knows. When we first launched Anchor, um, uh, we, we started this with this teaching series called We're All Learning Here. Because we just wanted to kind of create a culture where nobody had all the answers. Um, 
And so like the first three weeks, we, we would say, maybe if you were here in those, that time, maybe you remember this, we would say all together, like at the end of the gathering, we're all learning here. First week, people did it. And second week, I think I did it. You know, third week, I'm not even sure if I did it because uh, it was kind of awkward and nobody knew each other. And... But I, lo- I love that impulse for us to be able to be acknowledged that we're people, that we're all learning here. And we don't have to pose and posture, but we can be with the people that Isaiah saw where they said, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. We're all learning here. The vision goes on to what I'm calling like this picture of perfect peace. So it begins with all peoples, but then it like moves into this picture of perfect peace, which is like miracle enough because when you put all peoples together in the same place, you would imagine that there might be conflict. But as all peoples move towards God, there is this picture of perfect peace. Their verse goes as the second part of this passage. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. I, as a dad of a middle schooler and an elementary schooler love the term settle disputes. I am regularly made aware of my inability to settle disputes. I thought that would be more comedic than it apparently is. You know, I mean, you're like, try your best. You're like, well, honey, it sounds like he and, well, you should know. I think what you're meaning to say is, and there's this trying to settle disputes and it sometimes it goes the right way. And if they listen to me, it typically does, but it often doesn't go that right way. There's this imperfect ability to settle disputes. But as all of these types of people are moving towards God, it's like God has the ability to settle all the disputes. Every dispute, case closed. Here's, here's why disputes typically aren't settled. Here's why. You want to know? Here's, here it is. Conflict, disputes, they happen because the existence of bias and the hardness of hearts. Wherever there are hard hearts and bias, there will be disputes. But as we draw near to God, as we see Isaiah describing the situation, this picture, this image that he saw, he saw as people, they draw near to God. It's almost as if they, as they come empty handed saying, he's going to teach us his ways. So we're not assuming we know where we have all the answers. And as they draw near, the hearts get softened and the one that has no bias settles the dispute, settles all the disputes. There is this picture of perfect peace. It goes on. It says, actually, all like the tools of warfare, the swords will be turned into plowshares, the spears into pruning hooks. Now, I know a lot of you have probably recently used a plowshare and a pruning hook. So this probably doesn't need any explanation, but these are like tools to produce food, to help with the harvest. What is Isaiah seeing here? He's seeing that in the presence of God, 
the thing that was meant for destruction turns into something that is the agent of production. Isaiah's wanting us to remember that in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered into the world, before anything had stained and, and hurt and harmed God's good creation, we were put in a garden to work it and care for it. And so Isaiah is seeing that God's intent is always to restore what was originally made and to heal the goodness of creation. And so when Isaiah sees this picture of what God is up to, he sees a total healing and a total restoration, and even to the point where God uses is something that caused harm in the past towards and makes it and transforms it mysteriously, miraculously into something that can be an agent of good. There's this um, statue in uh, the London Museum of Art called the Tree of Life. And the Tree of Life is, is the name of the statue. It's a reference to um, the Tree of Life in Genesis and in Revelation, the kind of cool the Bible is really just one story told through multiple authors over multiple centuries through one spirit because it really, there's this tree of life that, that Adam and Eve, you know, they, they're not able to access because they, they violated God's commands. They're exiled from the garden. And then Revelation, we see the tree of life show up again. It's, it's God is connecting the threads. It's like that finally, we, the, that we, what we are exiled from, we, are, we can enter into. And the statue is reflecting, it's articulating this tree of life. And in Revelation, it says the leaves from the tree of life will heal the nations. It's a, worth its own sermon. And the statue is beautiful in its own right, but when you look closer, you start to see something that is maybe surprising. Look closer at the statue and you see that it, it's composed of decommissioned tools of war. Here's an AK-47. Here's a decommissioned mine. Here's a decommissioned grenade. And they're assembled in a way to create this beautiful thing. And that's what Isaiah is seeing. He's seeing tanks and AK-47s turned into farming equipment. And this is like maybe like a beautiful thing to imagine on a macro level. And maybe some of you are thinking about wars somewhere off in a distant land. But think about this. What if those were metaphors for our own tools of war? We all have them. The second somebody steps on our toe or triggers a little insecurity, what do we do? We arm ourselves with a response. Some cutting comment to make them feel like we felt some antagonistic word that we knew, know will hit them in their soft spot because they hit us in our soft spot. Or maybe the, the freeze where we withdraw and we know that that's the greatest weapon because when we withdraw, we withhold our intimacy, which is what that person wants. These are more common uses of tools of war that we've all used and we've all had used against us. And what Isaiah sees, he sees those tools of war that you all and I am all familiar with somehow being transformed into something that is constructive and healing. 
He goes on to say, it's not just that people won't fight anymore. They won't even train for fighting. They won't even run through scenarios how they can prove that they're better than the person that they know they're meeting with. They won't even imagine conversations where they end up being the winner of the argument that in an argument that doesn't even happen. They won't even enter into training camps where the object is to fight and hurt and harm and prepare. That won't, it won't, won't even be a thing that happens. This is what Isaiah sees. I hope you catch the beauty of it. I hope you get the macro level, but then also the real personal micro level. Like as this is what happens when Jesus returns and makes all things new. And this is a large part of what Advent is, is cultivating an excitement for the manger, but also an anticipation for the coming king that will vanquish evil and restore all things to himself. So we've talked about all people's getting the invitation to this perfect peace. But there is a little prescriptive verse here at the end. How we can be a part of the present hope. Right now. Everyone here. Isaiah got a glimpse of how all of us can be a part of the present hope. It's a one verse where he says, Come, descendants of Jacob. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. You get this picture of, you can imagine like a, a museum guide giving us this glimpse of like, this is how great God is. Look how great God is pointing out all the elements, all the shades and everything that he sees. Isaiah is letting us in on this, this vision of who God is and what he's about and, and how, he, how he will transform all things. And then at the very end, he says, so you should live like this now. Let us walk in the light of this now. Don't walk in the light of something else when you've seen this light. So I guess I would give a couple of thoughts here. You know, the New Testament says that every one of us as Jesus followers are temples of the Holy Spirit. I mean, like God dwells in us. <laughs> Fragile earthen vessels, broken cracks, yes, but God dwells in all of us. And as we grow in our relationship with God, as we let go of broken sin patterns and all sorts of habits and hangups and, and we grow in emotional health and discipleship to Jesus, what I would hope we would see is that just as people river uphill towards God, that we find people drawn in towards what God is doing in our life. One of the ways that we can walk in the light of the Lord now, living out a present hope in light of this future promise is that is that one of the evidences, you could say, is people curiously, mysteriously drawn towards us. You are living according to a different script. You have a different life in you. You have a strength that is mysterious that the world doesn't have. If those words have been said to you, you've been, you're, it's evidence that you're walking in the light of the Lord. Next thing is that we would embrace maybe the humility of not always knowing. 
Remember they said, come, we're going to find out. We don't know. We're going to find out how to live. He's going to teach us. That rather than demonstrating the virtue of always knowing and puffing our chest up, we would play according to a different script and be able to say, I don't know. Let's journey together. I think this is an example and evidence of walking in the light of the Lord right now. And as he is the one that settles all conflict, that we might now in our present moment, when we feel conflict, that we would bring it to the one who alone is unbiased, who can melt our hearts, that we would pray through anger and we would pray through pain, that we would give them to the one who can turn weapons into things that cause, that, uh, that, that, that are able to produce and, 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 and rather than destroy. This is a simple invitation that us now might walk in the light of what Isaiah showed us. The band can come on up. Um, and I guess I've been, I've been thinking of, um, you know, uh, this message is more of almost like a painting. It's more of like, hey, take a look at this. Less go, go do this and this and this. It's more, look at how, who God is and look what God is like. And as I've been reflecting on this, you know, I've been thinking about this picture of all people joining in on this journey towards God. And I think like there's a glimpse of that we see in the first Christmas in the manger where we see sh like shepherds who are the rough and tumble, kind of rough around the edges type of people. And they journeyed towards the manger at the angel's invitation. And we see angels journeying towards the manger. We see magi making a journey of hundreds of miles towards the manger. It's almost kind of like that glimpse of Isaiah. We're all people are merging and converging in on the Christ child. Well, we get to join in that journey. But the journey, as we know, doesn't stop there. Jesus is born among us, but then dies for us. And that's what we celebrate every week so we can be reminded of God's grace that is available for you as you come forward for communion. If you are a Jesus follower, whether a first-time Jesus follower or a long-time Jesus follower, you'll hear the words, Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you. It's for you, it's for you, it's for you. And as you come forward, it'll just be like similar to that picture we saw in Isaiah where everybody in this room, doesn't matter your background, you're invited to the table. All peoples are invited to the table. There's also prayer available at the prayer stations and you're invited to get prayer. Anything that you have a prayer need for, we would want you to get prayer for. So come, come to the table, come for prayer, come sing. Let's join in this journey towards the King.